I wonder if, um, I wonder if this morning you, along with uh, the rest of the world, have been uh, thinking about reflecting on the loss of Prince, uh, a Minnesotan. And so uh, I don't know if you didn't know, if I just broke the news to you, apparently I don't know where you've been uh, because it's been all over the news, all over social media, the fact that this pop icon, this amazing creative has now, has now died. I spent a little bit of time listening and when listening to the memorial. I, you'll be happy to know I didn't go down to the all-night dance party. I decided that was, maybe some of you did. Um, you look pretty good, though, if you were dancing all night long. Glad you're here. One of the things that I found to, to be pretty uh, interesting as I listened to m- the memorials about Prince's life and the, it just, some of the just glowing uh, reflections on who he is and the work that he has done over decades. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I danced like it was 1990. I partied like it was 1999 back in the day. But there was a quote particularly that, that caught my attention, and I saw it uh, particularly on, on social media a few different times. And it was, the quote goes like this. I wanted to put it in front of you this morning. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Do you know that quote? Did you, have you seen that quote? Beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. And, it, and I've reflected on that and I've wondered. Um, in one sense, I, I, I totally get it. I, I totally understand that life is hard. And that we need one another, and sometimes we need to gather together, and all we can do is just, is just help one another get through the day. I, I get it. I understand it. But are we really relegated, going to relegate ourselves to just getting through life? Is that our options? Or, or is it possible that we can live a life that really matters for now and on to eternity? Is it possible that rather than just merely getting together and banding together, did, did you really get here, come here this morning in order that you might just be able to hey, get through life? Or have we gathered for a different purpose? Is it possible that in our gathering together we're reminded that, our, that we actually serve a greater purpose, that we actually live lives that can matter from now on into eternity? Is it possible? that we can live lives that actually matter. Because I want to suggest to you this morning that to live a life that matters from now and to eternity, it will will require a power that is greater than your own. But it is a power that you have been given. If you want to live a life that matters from now and on into eternity, it will require a power that is greater than your own. But it is a power that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given. I think we'll be helped by going and opening our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, if you're about halfway through, then to the left would be the Old Testament and to the right would be the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we encourage you to follow along. You can find this reading on page 880-ish, 83, somewhere like that in that and the pew Bible that's in front of you. We'll begin in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I'm just going to read for a little while here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of, of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all those who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Let's pause there. I find this really interesting because there is, and I want to be, we'll begin with this idea of a power that is greater than you. And it comes to me from verse 14, where Peter stood up from, with the eleven and raised his voice to address the crowd. So Peter stands up. Now, what has happened is that the Spirit was given to the believers that were gathered together. The Spirit has come, and one of the, uh, I, one of the uh, proofs that the Spirit has come is that the people who had gathered, uh, the 120 who were there, were able to speak in other languages. Other people gathered, and they started to hear this commotion that was taking place, and they were able to hear the, 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 the wonders of God being spoken in their own language. And they said, what, what does all this mean? And, and then other people, of course, made fun of them and said they'd been drinking too much, and that's really what's going on. Apparently, they were partying for Prince before Prince existed. But that's what's happening here. And then Peter stands up, and he begins to preach to them. Peter stands up and gives what is the first Christian sermon. So if you don't like sermons, if you don't like to hear people like me open the Bible and talk to you, then blame Peter, because this is where... It begins, Jesus preached, but then comes Peter. This is Peter. This is Peter the denier. You remember Peter. This is Peter of whom Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of humankind. This is Peter of whom Jesus said, and I tell you, your name will be Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is Peter, Peter who during the Last Supper said... I will never deny you, Jesus. Even if I have to die, I will never deny you. This is Peter, who only hours later found himself watching Jesus being dragged off to trial and three times denied Jesus, the last time calling down curses on himself, saying, I do not know the man. That's this Peter. 
It's this Peter who, after Jesus was raised, and in a 40-day span of time, Jesus had a special appointment with this Peter in order that he might be able to restore him to relationship with himself. It is this Peter who now stands and preaches with boldness and clarity about Jesus. Peter the denier is now Peter the preacher. What has happened? How is it that Peter can be preaching so boldly and confidently and clearly about Jesus? Well, Peter did not have the power to live a life, to live out the mission that God had called him to on his own. Peter didn't have the power on his own. Jesus had told him, on this, your name will be Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, will not overcome it. But Peter, in and of himself, did not have the power to live out the calling that God had on his life. He didn't have it. He thought that he could. He thought that he had the power to be able to do it. That's why in that Last Supper, when he's there and he's there, he says, oh, Jesus, I will never deny you. If all of these others deny you, I will not deny you. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. And then just hours later, he, hours later, he denied him because he didn't have the power. Jesus had a powerful purpose for the life of Peter, for Peter's life. But Peter needed to learn that he did not have the power in his own strength to fulfill the mission that God had called him to live, to live a life that mattered, to live a life of significance, to live the life of purpose that God had called him to. And Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, then Jesus has called you to a powerful purpose that matters now and on for eternity. But like Peter, you do not have the power. You do not have. The purpose of God for his people is that we would be his witnesses now and through here and throughout the world, but we don't have the power within ourselves to be able to fulfill the purposeful mission for which God has set forth before us. And this goes against the narrative of our culture, doesn't it? Which says, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. That if you want to live a life that, of purpose that actually matters, then what you need to do is you need to look down deep into yourself. And by looking down deep into yourself, you will find your inner strength. You will harbor your inner power. If you just do enough yoga, if you just do enough meditation, then you will be able to muster up the power to be able to go and live a life of purpose. And it is true that we must be active. And it is true that we must have a plan for our life. And it is true that we must indeed look inside ourselves but every time in looking inside ourselves, we will never find the su sufficient power within to be able to fulfill. It's not that we can't do good things. It's not that people, humanity, can't do great acts of benevolence. It's not that we can't achieve great things. It's not that we couldn't put great plans in place. It's not that we couldn't build great companies or make great achievements. No, all of those things. We could win Nobel Prizes. But if we are going to be those who live out the purpose for, for which God has called us, then there is no amount of looking inside, of sort of staring at our navel that will ever be able to help us 
have the sufficient power to live out what God has called us to live out. No, if we are going to live a life that matters for now into eternity, we must first reconcile with the fact that we need a power that is greater than our own. So how do we, what do we make of this transformation that's happened in Peter's life? Because it's not merely the fact that we, we come to grips with the fact that we need a power that's greater than our own, but it is that we have been given this power. To the church has been given the power to be able to live out the purpose and mission for which God has called us. Let's look a little bit more clearly and a little bit more intently here at these first few verses. These first few verses here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each, each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's pause there. There were 120 of them, we were told, 120 of them that were gathered in one particular place. We're not exactly sure. There's commentators that say that it could have been the upper room. It could, what we do know, it was near the temple. We knew that it was near the temple. We know that they were in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to, after, when he was ascending, that they were to go to Jerusalem. And the book of Luke, at the end, when they talk about the ascension, it says they went to the temple and they continued to worship and praise God together. So we know that they were gathered in one place. And it was somewhere near and around the temple. And then and they were waiting, and they were waiting for God to send his spirit. And God sent his spirit. And the event is called Pentecost. It's called Pentecost. Now, we, there's a lot to be said about this. We'll say some. But we need to view the, the way in which we look at these events need to be in view of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. So Jesus Christ came, the incarnation. It was when Jesus, it's Christmas. It's when God came and take, took on the form of human flesh. There is the crucifixion. That is that Jesus died the sacrificial death and bore on in his body the, the, the sins of all of humanity for all of time. There is the resurrection. That on the third day, Jesus who really died, really came and rose to life. Then there is the ascension, that Jesus rose to, be, uh, to sit at the right hand of the Father. And when Jesus ascended, he, he was the detonator, as it were, that unleashed the power of all of the events of the gospel, all of the things that Jesus has done, all of the work of Christ is now unleashed into the world because Christ has now ascended. And he said in Acts 1.8, if you remember, that when he says, when I go, then I will send a power that will come. When I send the Holy Spirit, now Pentecost, all of these events are unrepeatable events in the course of history. There have been other crucifixions. There has been other resurrections. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but none of the resurrections, none of the crucifixions, this, these are what Christ has done. I have fulfilled the same purpose for which Christ has done. These are all unrepeatable events. And Jesus, when he was ascending, says that I will give you power when my Holy Spirit comes. The disciples were waiting. And then at some point on one day, then there went this, the, the, and then Luke tries to describe it for us. But how do you describe the way the Spirit moves? How, other than just through metaphor. 
And he says, and then there was like the, the sound of a rushing wind. There, there was the sound of, of wind. And, and, then, and then there was this, the feeling that as if this wind had come into this place. And then there was like fire. It was like fire that then came, like tongues of fire, then separated and sort of rested right on us. This is, is he's trying to describe the coming of the Spirit. He's using... Um, things that we can understand to be able to try to get us to be able to understand what had happened when the Spirit of God came into that room, into that place where those 120 people were. And as a sign that the Spirit of God was there, they were speaking in different languages. They were speaking in different languages. The Spirit enabled them to speak in foreign languages. This is not some sort of special spiritual language here. No, in this case, the Spirit gave the Galileans the ability to speak the language of those who were the surrounding countries. That's what we find here in verse 6. When they heard the sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked. Aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? So how is it? What, what does all this mean? That's a great question. What does all this mean? What does, what does the coming of the Spirit of God on these people at that particular time, what does it all mean? There's a story back in the Old Testament, in the very first book of the Old Testament, um, in Genesis chapter 11. And I want to I go there for a moment. I think it'll be You'll find it rewarding. It is something that you can certainly look into when you have time this afternoon. But Genesis chapter 11 goes in this way. And they said, the people there, there was, there was, a, a, there was at this particular time, there was a common language. So everyone spoke the same language. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may have a name for ourselves or we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there, from there all over the earth, and they were stopped, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Because there, the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So at that particular time, the people who were all speaking the same language said, let's build ourselves a great city. Let's build ourselves a great tower that reaches to the heaven. And let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for us. And then the Lord came and said, essentially seeing the arrogance and the pride of the people and said, let's confuse their languages and scatter them around the world. And now, at Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God comes and he goes into his people and he gives them what? Languages from those who are around the world. Here in Acts chapter 2, we see the reversal of Genesis chapter 11, that where God had scattered the people and confused their languages, now he comes and says, through my church, through my disciples, through my people, will go the glorious wonders of Almighty God into every tongue and every tribe and every nation around the world. 
It is the reversal of, chap- of Genesis chapter 11. What's, what does all this mean? It means that the glories of God will go out. So when we think about those who are Wycliffe Bible translators, what are they doing? They're fulfilling the purposes that every tongue and every tribe and every language will be able to hear of the wonders of Almighty God in their native tongue and in their native language. What else is happening here? That's not all that's happening here. What else is happening here is that when God sends his spirit, then he sends his spirit to reside with his church and with his children and with his people once and for all. Because the way in which the spirit worked in the Old Testament is that the, God, the spirit of God would descend on a person for, who, for a particular place at a particular time for a particular purpose. And now he's saying, I'm giving you power because I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the spirit of God that is going to be on those who are mine, that is going to be in the church, and that is going to be able to remain with his people. That's the significance of what God is doing here. He's sending his spirit, that the Holy Spirit, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, then you receive the spirit that indwells the believer. It is a seal of your salvation on the Christian, and the Holy Spirit is the power that we live, that we have as the Christian, that you have a power that has been given to you, and it is from God, and it is from heaven, and it is the very spirit of God that has at work within you. You have the very spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead at work within you. That we have a seal. That we have power. Because of our own strength? Because of our own? No. Because what? We don't have the power. But God, by his spirit, has given you the power to be able to live lives that actually matter now and on into eternity. You have been given his spirit. It is a spirit of strength. It is a spirit of power that you will be able by the power of God to be able to be his witnesses, that all of those around the world, whatever their language, may be able to see the wondrous glories of Almighty God. You have been given power to fulfill the mission. Peter did not have the power within himself to be able to live the life that God had called him to live, but then Peter received the Holy Spirit and he preaches the first Christian sermon and he preaches and the people were cut to the heart and 3,000 people came into the faith to follow Jesus that day. Because why? Because of Peter? No, because God used Peter to fulfill his purposes. That's why. To live a life that matters now and for eternity will require a power that is greater than your own, but it is a power that you have been given. The problem, I think, for me, at least for and and for us, is that we too often focus on what we do not have to fulfill the mission, mission rather than who we do have to fulfill the mission. The problem with us and the church is that we focus on the things we do not have. And they make excuses for why we not, cannot live lives that matter as opposed to focus on who we have and be able to fulfill the mission that he's called us to. Because we think, well, I, I, don't have, I don't have any gifts. I don't have the right gifts. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the training. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the seminary. I don't have the words. I don't have the friends. I don't have... 
All of this stuff, we see, these are all the reasons, God, why I can't be used by you. And we focus on all of these things that we do have rather than focusing on who we have, which is the very Spirit of God that is at work within you. The very Spirit of God that came to these Galileans and gave them the ability to speak different languages so that these people might be able to hear of the wonders of God in their own native tongue. I'm not saying that God will enable you to speak French like by tonight. It didn't work for me in high school. Just check my grades. I'll show you. What I am saying is that God will give you the right words to be able to be his witnesses when you need them at the place where he's put you. What I am saying is that he will give you the appropriate courage to be able to write, to make the right moral decision. What I am saying is that he will give you the strength to be able to stand when life is difficult. What I am saying is that he will remind you that he is always with you, that you, are never, that you have never been forgotten, that God is always, that he can never be separated from you and you from him. What I am saying is that you have the power to fulfill the purposeful life that God has called you to you because you have been given the power by his Holy Spirit. That is what I'm saying. Dearly beloved, we are not gathered here today merely to get through this thing we call life, but to be reminded that we can and must live a life that matters by the Spirit of Christ for the glory of Christ to fulfill the mission. That is what we have. How do we know we have it? What are some signs? In the time that we have left, I want to give you three. Three signs that the Spirit of God is at work within you and is moving that you are being propelled out on mission, as it were. First is this. Your story is about Jesus. That your story is about Jesus. Because the way we have a tendency to talk to one another as we talk about how great our kids are, we talk about all the great things we're doing at work, we talk about all the great things that all the boats that we're buying and all the vacations we're taking, and we tell everybody about how great we are. And people know. But when the power of the Spirit takes hold of the life of a child of God, then your story isn't about you and all of your stuff. It's a story about Jesus. How long would it take for someone to just meet you before they know that your primary thing, the primary motivation in your life is Jesus. I'm not saying that you, as soon as you meet them, you need to say, hi, my name is John, I'm a Christ follower. I'm not saying that. But if your life is truly formed and molded by following after Jesus, how long would it take for someone you've never met to bump up against the Savior who you have met, who has redeemed you, who has empowered you? How long? When we do baptisms routinely here in our services, and, and it's, it's pretty, I mean, people get nervous about talking to you people. I mean, and publicly having to, had to talk about, share their story. You're an intimidating crew, I guess. One of the things that I'll talk to people about when, they, when they're going to give their story and share their testimony before baptism is simply this. You're not talking about you. You're talking about what Jesus did to you. And what Jesus has done in you. How long does somebody have to know you before they start hearing about what Jesus did to you and what Jesus is doing in you? You know that old hymn? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Is that your story? 
that as the Spirit of God is at work, it becomes more and more the rhetoric of His people. Second sign is this. First, your story is about Jesus. Second, your place is for Jesus. Your place is for Jesus. Where is the best place for you to serve Jesus? Because we often will say, well, if I can just get to this place, then, if we can just move to this town, then, no, the best place to serve Jesus is right where he put you. The best place for you to serve Jesus is right where you are. You bloom where you're planted. The Lord has planted you, so bloom there. The the best place to serve God is right where he has put you, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, on your team, at your desk, with your people. Those are the people whom God wants to use you in their life so that they can know his story. Now, if God wants to move you from Minneapolis to Memphis, God will move you from Minneapolis to Memphis, and he will make that clear as well because he is sovereign over all things. Yet your job is to be able to bloom where you are planted. You are here where God has put you, so the best place for you to serve him now and to live out a life on mission for him is right here, right now. A sign that you have the power of the Spirit of God at work in you is that your story is about Jesus, that your place is for Jesus, and finally, your attitude is like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 says, Consider others better than yourself. Do not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. That's what we ought to be. Your time, your money, your talents, your thoughts, your treasures are not predominantly about you, but are predominantly about others. We're considering the needs of others above ourselves. We'll talk more about this next time when we get together. But your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If we want to be able to see, if we want to see signs that the Spirit of God is at work within us, we start giving away our money. And you say, I never gave away money before. I can't believe this is me giving away money, but I'm giving money away. I should be buying a Starbucks, but I'm not. I'm giving giving my money away. How is this happening? It is the work of the Spirit of God that is at work within you. It is that you are giving of your time. It is when we see People who are busy, who live busy lives, because we all live busy lives, giving of their time to come and decorate this church building in order to be able to come and be able to take pictures in order to serve punch so that I could come bring my daughter last night to the daddy-daughter date night in order that my daughter might be able to experience the love of a father for a daughter, and hopefully she will experience the love of Christ for her as his daughter. It is as the people of our church We have a gentleman in a church who goes and visits a widow from our church because her fence is broken, and he goes and mends the fence because that's what her husband used to do, and she calls her daughters and says, I love my church. It is the Spirit of God that is at work through the people of God. It is when we stand with one another, when we have a woman from our church standing with another sister in Christ in court because she's going through a horrible divorce. It is as we have a couple from our church who is going to Pakistan in order that they might be able to put their lives in danger in order to encourage other Christians who daily live their lives on the front lines of faith. Friends, it is as the Spirit of God is at work within us. We have the very power of Christ at work within us to live lives that matter. Dearly beloved, we are not gathered here today to merely go through this thing we call life. 
but to be reminded that we can and must live a life that actually matters by the power of Christ for his glory until he comes again. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your spirit that is present with us. We thank you for the seal that we have on our life because of your spirit's presence. We thank you that he is the one who encourages us, that he is the one who empowers us, that he is the one who will enable us as we leave from this place in order to make our story about Jesus, to make our place about Jesus, to have our attitude more conformed to be like Jesus in order that we might be able to be those who live a life that really matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.